We're going to speak about the man Joab. Now I can hear the wheels turning in your heads saying, why in the world would a man speak about the man Joab? In fact, do all of you know or have heard of Joab? Everybody here has heard of Joab. Good. Have you ever heard a talk given on Joab? Anybody? Why? Why do you suppose Joab was never spoken about? You know, I say never. I don't ever remember hearing anybody speaking about Joab. Why do you think that is? Do you think that he was not spoken about because there's nothing that could be learned regarding him and his walk in his service? Do you think there's nothing that could be learned as a result of examining a man like Joab? You know that the word Joab or his uh, name means Jehovah, his father. Now, of course, that doesn't tell us anything about Joab. Are you able to hear me? You know, all of us in our minds, when we think of men and women of the scriptures, tend to conjure up a picture of what the individual looked like. And I, like most people, have tried to visualize what Joab might have looked like. Now you notice I haven't told you much about Joab yet. We're just talking about our general perception of him mentally. I perceived Joab to be about the build of Scott. Scott Huey. You know, he... He's a domineering figure with a, a fella of my stature. I, I, I look up to him and I say, man, look at those muscles. And I visualize Joab about like that. A man who was impressive. If you saw a crowd of people, a crowd of soldiers of that day, Joab would stand out. Now, if you read in any of the encyclopedias about Joab, there are quite a number of things said about him. That he was courageous, that he was loyal, that he was trustworthy, that he was a sneak, that he was a deceiver, and that he wanted to have his own way, and that he was one who didn't hesitate to make things happen. So, with that little bit of a description about him, and incidentally, we ought to recognize a principle. When, when we're looking at Scripture, it doesn't matter where it is. There's something that can be learned, for all Scripture is profitable whether it be about a man like Joab 
or whether it be about the man Christ Jesus, all of us can learn something from it. Now what I want you to do here tonight, we're going to have sort of like a, a Bible class lesson here or a Sunday school lesson. I want you, as we progress through this discussion tonight about this man Joab, to see if you can think of any of the things that we talk about that might be applicable to us today in our walk to the kingdom. Now, a little bit about what we know about Joab. When did Joab live? Well, I got this thing here. If you see there, if I could stop shaking. That shows a list of the kings of Israel, starting with Saul, succeeded by David, and then, of course, Solomon. Now, the period of time that we're talking about is about the Al in Saul and the S in Solomon. It's that span of time. How important is that span of time? It's roughly 3,000 years ago. In fact, I understand that in September of this year, the Jews are going to have a celebration in Jerusalem commemorating the 3,000th year from the time that David ascended to the throne in Jerusalem. So, while we are talking about something 3,000 years ago, it still is relevant, really, in our understanding of the progression of God's plan and purpose with this earth. And if we're looking for the time when that greater king will rule as does, or as did Solomon in all his glory, then what we would discuss here today should be of interest and stimulating to us. Now how are we going to deal with this man Joab? There's, so, there's a lot that happened in his life, and we can only highlight certain things. You may not agree with the selections that I've made, but you'll have to live with it. Now, to begin the study of Joab, it really begins with Jesse. For Jesse had a wife, and I can't find her name. He had two daughters. One was Abigail, and the other was Zariah. The son of Abigail was Amasa. And listen, boy, you're going to hear some pronunciation of Hebrew words like you never heard in your life tonight. Zariah's children, sons, were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel. Great. He had seven sons. Now those were his grandsons that we read there. Starting with Elijah and ending with David, who was the seventh. And on cue, Chuck is going to tell you that number seven is what? Spiritual perfection. Okay, now,
David, as you know, as we looked at up there, became the king in Israel, succeeding Saul. He was anointed by Samuel, having been selected by God of the seventh son of Jesse. What do you suppose Joab was in relationship to David? His what? His nephew. Okay. Joab was David's nephew. Now, again we're setting the scene as to what we will discuss later. David had a number of wives and a number of children. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce them but show you how they were. It, this is all recorded in First Chronicles, the third chapter, one to nine. If you remember, David, after the death, or pardon me, during after the death of Saul, he began to reign in Hebron, and he reigned there for seven and a half years, and later moved his kingdom or his place of his rulership to Jerusalem. And there he reigned about 32 and a half years, making the total of his reign 40 years. While he was in Hebron, there were all these sons born, Ammon, Daniel, Absalom, Adonijah, Shepatiah, Yathatharah, how's that? Then when he moved to Jerusalem, he had acquired Bathsheba. We'll come back and talk about that a little bit. And she had these children, Shemini, Shebat, Nathan, and Solomon. And then these other sons were born, nine in number, and I don't know who their wives or mothers were. And he had a daughter named Tamar that was born to him. Now... It says in this account in 1 Chronicles 3 that besides all these children, he had sons that were born of the concubine. Where do you suppose Solomon got the idea of all the wives? He probably got it from his father. No, we'll just leave that on. this is going to show up. Not that great. Can you read it back there at all? Anyhow, you'll have to watch me point some of these things out. Hopefully you can see them. I tried to take a copy of a, a map and a book we had, but it obviously hasn't turned out very well. Remember, after David had been had killed Goliath, he became so renowned in Israel, and he was so talented with the heart, that Saul asked him to come and stay with him so he could help him through his melancholy periods. 
And David became very beloved of Saul, and he dwelt in Saul's house for some period of time. Then when Saul recognized or had heard that David had been anointed king, that his love for him turned into hatred. And David had to flee and go into hiding. Now you remember all that story, how the arrows were shot and so on. Now where David went to hide was at a place called Adullam. Can you see that there? He went to a cave, or what was known as a hole, and there he dwelt with a lot of his uh, people, discontents. And he was so fearful that Saul was after him and his family that he took his father and mother and took them over into the land of Moab, which you cannot see here, and left them with a relative of his that was king in Moab. And how was the relationship there? It was Ruth, the Moabitess, whose people he took his parents to during the sojourn when he was in the uh, cave of Adullam with his followers. And I believe that, as we pointed out, his fear for his family brought Joab into that area with him. And Joab there joined company with David. It's interesting to note, you know, you say, why would there be a cave at Adullam? Well, you can't see it on this, but the valleys and rifts all through that area. And right over near Hebron, outside of Hebron, is a place called Machpelah. Can anybody tell me what that is about? Yeah, that was the burying place of Abraham's wife and some of the others of the faithful. So if there was a cave at Hebron, it wouldn't be a unusual that there would be a big cave at Adullam. Okay. Let, let's get on with the story. We find then that Joab is in the company of David when he's in hiding. They were chased by Saul and pursued to various places. You know the encounters that David had when he could have killed Saul, but uh, it, it didn't happen. He didn't ripped up his head, hand against the Lord's anointed. And later on, Saul was killed by the Philistines. And then David established himself as king with Joab as his cohort, and they reigned in Hebron. The tribe of Judah joined with him. Abner, who was the equivalent of Joab with Saul, crowned Ibosheth as king in Israel. And the twelve or the tribes in that area swore their allegiance to Joab and to Ishbosheth. Now it wasn't long after that Ishbosheth was slain by assassins. And Abner, seeing the handwork or the handwriting on the wall, came and suggested that they join up. And of course, the 
Abner wouldn't hear of it. Or pardon me, Joab would not hear of it. And so the men of Abner's army and Joab's army gathered at a creek like this one out here. And one group was on one side and one on the other. And they were all prepared to fight. And the two generals said, well, this is sort of a silly thing, killing one another, our brethren. Why don't we just pick out 12 men on each side and have them spar off, and the victors of that group will decide as to which way this is going to go. So they picked out 12 men, and they stood and faced one another. And they all had beards like Steve. And they each reached out and grabbed the, his opponent's beard and jabbed a knife into it. And so all twelve on each side fell down dead. It, 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 you know, it really didn't resolve anything. It was a standoff. So Joab attacked Abner's army. And Abner, of course, with his people, fled. And you remember the story how, where's his name? Aethahel pursued, well, You didn't know I was a magician, did you? Neither did I. Here we are. They asked the help, pursued Joab. He was pretty fleet of foot. But old Abner was no slouch either. So he told him, look, knock it off. Stop pursuing me. But he kept it up. And finally, Abner thrust his spear backwards. And, you know, in those days, the spears had a sharp point on them at the back. They say that they were covered with iron, but I don't know where they got it. And the reason for that was when they slept out in the field at night, they would stick their spear into the ground so that if they were startled in the middle of the night, they, they would have, wouldn't have to feel all around for the spear. They'd just reach out and grab it, and they'd be ready to fight. Well, this spear tip that was on the back of the spear was thrust through Ahasuerus chest and he died. Well, you see, that was in battle that he died. But Joab, he didn't think that way. He felt that he had the right of a, an avenger to settle the score and to make things right as he felt he should correct them. I was a magician. He even goes out without even instructing him. Anyhow, later on, Joab determined to repay in blood what had happened to Asahel, invited Abner to come and see him. Abner had gone to see David, and he came back under the guise of uh, talking things over with uh, Abner. 
and uh, Joab see if they could resolve their problem. It's very interesting. Where did he invite them? He invited him to come to Hebron. Does anybody know anything about the city of Hebron? Well, you probably know a lot. But it was a city of refuge. And you see how guileful this man Joab was? He figured if he got Abner down here, Abner's guard would be let down. And that he figured he would be absolutely safe in the city of refuge. But if you read the account, he said he got him to come to the gate of the city. And what did he do to him? He grabbed his beard and killed him. Well, of course, David was highly incensed. In fact, David pronounced a, a curse on Joab and his family. In fact, he, he said that may his family have leprosy and may they never prosper. Uh, but he still retained Joab as the leader of his army. Now, it's interesting, I think, to just look at a couple of things here. What kind of a, an army did Joab control at this time? Were they a bunch of powder puffs? Were they a bunch of uh, pansies, as we might call them? That, that would be the term I would use. Well, let, let, let's uh, look at a couple of things about the kind of men that followed David and Joab. Turn with me to 2 Samuel. Twenty-three and eight. It starts out. These are the mighty men uh, that followed David. Uh, Idona, he lifted up his spear against eight hundred men who he slew at one time. Now, I, I'm sure there are people who say, "Hey, hey, that must be a misprint." What kind of a man could kill eight hundred people? at one time. You know, we got 300 people roughly here. So that's uh, almost triple of what's in this room. In one day, he arose, or there's another one, down in verse 9. Eliezer, the son of Dodo, uh, he defied the Philistines that gathered there in battle when the men of Israel were gone away. One man stands and defies the Philistines. He arose and spoke the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hands claved unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him. What for? Only to spoil. The only time they came back to help the poor guy after fighting all day long until his arm was absolutely weary was to take the spoil and the loot. Now, you know, we can go on and read about uh, some of the men that... One of the other quotes we should look at, I think it's First Chronicles 
12 and 8. Yeah, this is interesting. The eighth verse, the Gadites, which were some of the men that followed David, there separated themselves unto David into the hole, probably Adullam, to the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for battle, that could handle the shield and the buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as roads upon the mountains. You know, those guys had endurance like you wouldn't believe. Now, what do you think a man looked like that had the face of a lion? He probably had a beard, and it just bristled out, and he just stood there and would cause people that even glanced at him to tremble and shake. Now, why I tell you about people like that is... What kind of a general would it take to lead men like that? He was no pansy, Joab. In fact, that kind of a time demanded men who would be leaders to be able to be better than the men they led. Now, of course, that brings us to the case when Joab scaled the walls of the city of the Jebusites. See, the Jebusites occupied the city of Jerusalem. And they said, our city is so strong that all we need is a bunch of old blind people and old cripples. And they'll sit up on the wall and nobody will be able to get in. We'll, we'll throw some pebbles at anybody that comes there. They won't be able to bother us at all. But Joab took up David's challenge. Remember what David's challenge was? He said, whoever can scale that wall get into that city, I will make him my general. Well, it says that Joab got in. Now, what do you suppose that meant? Just think about it for a minute. Here's a defendant walled city, and one man gets in. Now, what do you think one man does when he jumps into a city that's highly uh, organized to resist those who were invading their city. You think they would have said to him, well, you made it over the wall. What do you know? Come on in. We'll open the gate for you. You're no problem. You think that's what they would have done? No, they'd have fought teeth and nail and claw, whatever they had, to get him out of that city. But Joab probably defended that spot where he climbed up while others climbed up with him. I'm suggesting this as a possibility, until they got enough people up there that they could force the gate of the city open. And then, of course, the city fell, and David took it over, and it says that Joab went and repaired the rest of the city. So obviously they did a little bit of damage in their exercise. But what kind of a man will face that kind of odds? Is he a chicken? I think that's the term we use today, isn't it? Or what was he a man that was confident of his own ability and he was self-reliant and he was a leader of men that were tough. And so later on when the wars that David had, this man became a general and a leader that they all looked up to and they followed. Well, time went on. 
Joab's out fighting, and David's back in the city, and some maid goes out and starts showering out in the curtains or out in the backyard, and of course David sees her, and uh, wow, he's smitten. And uh, of course, having the right of king, which is absolute, he had Bathsheba brought in. A lot of commentators say that Bathsheba was a party to the crime because she ought not to have been where she was, flaunting. The consequence of it was David committed a sin. And to cover up, he had to bump off her husband. And he sent a letter to get Uriah in that any child that Bathsheba might have would be considered to be Uriah's. And of course you know the story how that would work. So later he sends a letter to Joab and said, put Uriah right in the front of the line so that and when the battle gets hot, back off from him and let him get killed. And Joab complied and helped out. I honestly believe, and I can't prove it, but Joab, I think, kept that letter. And if you go through the accounts where some of the things that Joab did and said to the king, he had to have had some incriminating evidence over the king's head. You may not agree, but it, 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 it would appear that way to me. Now, we go on. You, you know the story that, that happened thereafter. About that, you remember also at that time it was said that the sword would never leave the house of David from that time forward. And that was absolutely true. David had nothing but problems thereafter. Ammon, who was the eldest son, as you remember on that or that outline I gave you, uh, forced his sister Tamar and Absalom, one of the other sons, said, well, that ought not to be done. And he arranged and had Ammon slain. And of course, Absalom fled, fled and was in uh, seclusion for a, a period of time. And he asked Joab if he would intercede with David and get him back. Well, they got him back into the city and he was virtually under house arrest. And of course, remember what Joab did? He burned his field of barley. And the field of barley was right beside uh, Absalom, which shows you again the unity of the scriptures, that they were all of the tribe of Judah, uh, Joab, Absalom, they were all related to Jesse, therefore their property would be adjoining. And it's just one of those little things in the scriptures that make and confirm the fact that the scriptures are true. Well, time went on and Absalom revolted. You, you recall that story. And David had to pack up and flee. And he went over the River Jordan and divided the men that were faithful to him into three groups. Absalom uh, had his army and they came to attack David. And you remember in the ensuing battle, Absalom uh, had his... Have I got the right 
guy do? Yeah. Had his hair caught in the tree, and uh, Joab killed him. Am I right? Shot him with darts. Yeah. And of course, David was very sorrowful and mourned greatly for him. And finally, Joab had to come back and say, Look, knock it off, David. You know, th this guy revolted against you, even though he was your son. And we did what we had to. Now get back to the job of governing this country, which he did. Well, there was another incident shortly after that involved Joab. Uh, because of the disfavor that David held for Joab because of the death of Absalom, he appointed Amasa, who was another uh, nephew, as general. And there was a rebellion, and Amasa was sent out to put it under control, and it took too long. And Joab went out and, in the guise of friendship, did the same thing to him that he had done to Abner. Well, of course, David was just beside himself. And he, in fact, this is a case where he said, you know, the children of my sister are just too much for me. But he couldn't do them in. Couldn't put them away because I think of that incriminating letter and also the fact that David didn't feel that he was secure enough in the kingship. Now, why, I don't know. But he never put Joab where he should have been. Anyhow, time goes on. And David decides to number Israel. And you remember what happened. He tried to persuade David not to do it. He said, look, you don't need this, David. He said, in effect, all you're going to do is boast about how many people you've got, so don't do it. But David, being absolute, commanded that he do it. And he went out half-heartedly. And I think the result of it was that he had about a million and a half soldiers, roughly speaking. And, uh, of course, then the plague came. David had a choice of what was going to happen. And he said, well, put it in the hands of the Lord. And God sent the plague, which destroyed 70,000 people. You know, that's quite a thing to have on your conscience. The fact that because you glory in the number of people that you had in your command, you were responsible for 70,000 of your own people dying. When it was said that the sword would never leave the house of David, it was absolutely true after the incident with Bathsheba. Now, you remember the story how the plague was arrested by the angel coming and presenting himself at the threshing floor. And I didn't even write the guy's name. Who can help me? Roger? Oh? Thank you. You all heard that? Say it again, Jim. Orion the Jebusite. Right, thank you. David bought that piece of land where Orion's 
threshing floor was. Does anybody know where that site is? Yeah, Palestine, terrific. Fomart. It became the site of the temple. And the sacrifice that was made there of the oxen that Orion had appeased God and the plague ceased. Now, there's a little bit of subtlety in that. Why would David want to buy that piece of property? Well, sure, certainly as a place for a sacrifice, but why did he have to buy it? Well, as time goes on, you see the beginning of the development of the fact that David was to prepare for the kingdom. David, in collecting the booty and the loot that he gathered from all these areas that he had conquered, was accumulating this money and setting it aside so that he could build a house for the Lord. And because of the fact that Joab was number two man, as it were, in the government under David's kingship, he was privy to all the information that was available there as to the plan and the intent of the king. In fact, he was assisting in this gathering of this booty that was to be for the future kingdom. He was aware of the promise that had been made by God to his king, David. He knew that a son of David would be a great ruler. He probably even looked over David's shoulder when he saw the plans that David gave to Solomon to build the house of worship for all people. And he saw the men gathering the material for this project. And about that time comes the situation of Adonijah, another one of David's son. By this time, David is pretty old. He started to reign when he was about 30, and he died when he was 70. Near the end of his life, when they could see that the vim and vigor of this man had diminished, Adonijah took the opportunity of proclaiming himself as king. And of course, the word came to David that this had happened. And of course, immediately, he set the wheels in motion whereby Solomon would be crowned while he was still king to ensure that Adonijah would not be king. Because he recognized, and this is the only way I can put it, he recognized in that promise that had been given to him that this king that would rule in peace, and I believe Solomon means peace, identified Solomon as the king that was to succeed him. But what about Joab? He backed the loser. He backed Adonijah. He had been faithful low these 40 years He'd been a true warrior 
for his king. He had put his line on, uh, life on the line many, many times to establish the rule of David. He had hazarded himself on many occasions. But at the end, he fell flat and he backed the man who was a rebel and was not intended to be king. And what was one of the first duties that Solomon had to do on the instruction of his father David when he became king? He did away with Joab. Now, we tried to build up a picture here tonight of a tough, hard, courageous individual but think about the sniveling. What are some of the words that would describe it? Well, lost something else. Anyhow, he, he became uh, a blithering idiot. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, th th this man who had been so courageous during his life, skilled in his job, given great authority, uh, he was a warrior like the witch of very few people have ever seen. He was a skilled diplomat. We didn't even get into that area tonight. He had an insight into what the purpose of his work had been in establishing the kingdom, that it would go into a glorious time and the... Uh, Solomon's reign and yet at the time that this was just about to happen he collapsed on the horns of the altar that was in Jerusalem in the tent and there he begged there he begged please don't kill me I made a mistake I shouldn't have backed Adonijah. Please spare me. This big, tough guy, he's a snivering, what? Coward. Now, he was slain, dragged away from the altar, and killed by Benaiah, who was one of Saul's captains of the bodyguard. Well, so be it for Job. His forehead came down in disgrace. He had been a faithful servant low these many years. He just couldn't endure unto the end. He gave in to greed. He gave in to retribution. He gave in to getting even. He gave in to what he thought was right. And he lost the opportunity that he had for seeing the glories of Solomon's kingdom, whom the queen of Sheba said, the glory of it I haven't half seen. How happy are your 
people that live under such conditions. And all this was denied Joab because he failed miserably. Did we learn anything from this? You know, the Christadelphians pride themselves in having a working understanding of the plan and purpose that God has for this earth. Not only do we have a working plan, or a knowledge of it, but we are convinced that it is true. In fact, some of us have spent our whole lives waiting for the day when this great day that God has promised will come to pass. And it's not far away. Let's continue on to the end. Let's not be deflected from the purpose that we have had even from our childhood. And may we continue in those things that will allow us to see the blessings that Joab was denied by his inability to hang tough to the very end.